The topics discussed on the Be Mentally Motivated podcast are based on personal experiences. I am not a professional therapist or doctor, nor do I claim to be or have the knowledge of one. If you are in crisis, please seek the help of a trained and licensed professional. My name is Jeanette and I welcome you to our fifth episode of the Be Mentally Motivated podcast. Today my guest is psychiatrist Dr. Elizabeth Lane and we will be discussing the effects of racial trauma on mental health. Also today, stay tuned for my segment called Motivational Moments to hear my closing thoughts. Dr. Elizabeth Lane is a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatry. She enjoys working with seniors and individuals with intellectual delay. Dr. Lane operates her own practice in Oakville and is also a consultant psychiatrist at Taibu Community Health Center in Scarborough, working with the Scarborough Perinatal Support Network to treat parents with mental health disorders during pregnancy and the first year after birth. As a black woman, Dr. Lane has a particular interest in today's topic and feels a greater need to get involved in anti-racism. To help deal with the many stressors of the past year, she is taking up baking and sailing. Hi, Dr. Lane. Thank you for joining me today. It is really a pleasure to speak with you during our fifth episode of the Be Mentally Motivated podcast. With the passing mark of one year since George Floyd's murder at the end of May, the discovery of 215 Indigenous children remains on the property of a residential school in Kamloops, the televised expose on the Tulsa massacre that happened in 1921, and the rise in Asian hate since the start of this pandemic, I felt that today we needed to discuss the topic of racial trauma and its effects on mental health just in depth, to foster equality and move towards the direction of ending racism. Whether or not people believe it, it does affect mental health. I recently saw this quote on Instagram that I thought would be a good way to start off this segment. The quote was, if trauma can be passed down through generations, then so can healing. I would like to keep that in our minds as we discuss the topic of racial trauma. So, Dr. Lane... The reason for my first question is not only to educate those that don't know, but also to let people that have been victims of it for years properly identify what the effects of continued racism and discrimination actually is. So how would you define racial trauma? Well, first of all, Jeanette, thank you for having me and hello to you. Well, I think in order to understand racial trauma, let's look at the word trauma because I think it's undergone some changes in in recent years. Mm. But basically, when we talk about trauma, we're referring to a a very stressful uh, event that happens to you in which you feared for your life, 
you felt that there was a threat to your physical well-being. But it's also a threat to your psychological well-being, to your sense of self. Oh. Yeah. So a trauma, it can be that you may experience a trauma directly or indirectly. So directly would be something happening to you or experiencing a trauma, something that's happened to someone else. Okay. So, so now that we have an understanding of trauma in general, I can speak to racial trauma. So racial trauma is the psychological and the physical injury that black people experience as a result of anti-black racism. Yes. So very clearly that that's what um, racial trauma is. And when we think about trauma or racial trauma, we tend to think about extreme instances of racism as being traumatic. So you've already mentioned the murder of George Floyd on, that was caught on the cell phone and it was shown repeatedly over and over and over. Now that is clearly traumatic. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I think we can all agree that that is very traumatic for everyone, regardless of your previous experience. To see something like that is shocking. To watch it over and over again is, is I think, very harmful. But um, the potential problem is, is that we start to think of racial trauma as being rare and extreme. So we're looking for those extremes, like police brutality, or, you know, we see the videos where someone again caught on camera caught on cell phone they're berating a person of color calling them the n-word and you know or calling police on them those are very extreme but um much of racial trauma it's not always on the order of extreme brutality or extreme cases like that a lot of the racism we experience and the trauma that we're exposed to is it happens every day it's very mundane So I think when we think about racial trauma, we have to think more broadly. It's something that's there that happens a lot, a lot more than perhaps we're all aware of. I think that awareness is increasing in the past year with events that have happened. But um, yeah, I think uh, racial trauma is uh, something we have to think about. And I think we, you know, we're talking a lot about racism, but when we couch it in terms of racial trauma we're going that step further to ask how does racism impact us mentally yes how does it impact our mental health yes so i recently read in the book cast written by isabel wilkerson that one of the effects of racial trauma is that it shortens our telomeres for those of you that don't know a telomere is a specific dna protein structure found at both ends of each one of our chromosomes They protect our genome from neolytic degradation, unnecessary recombination, repair, and interchromosomal fusion. They are essential to preserving our genome's information. Isabel in her book says, and I quote, that the more frequently a cell divides, the shorter our telomeres become, which eventually wears out the cell. This is a process referred to as weathering. Isabel continues to say that, This measure of premature aging of cells and of the person bearing those cells will result in the early onset of disease due to chronic exposure to such stressors as discrimination, 
job loss, or obesity. With that being said, what are some other effects of racial trauma on mental health and or our bodies? Okay, so in terms of um, on our body, first of all, it's, again, to re- just to reiterate, exposure to racial trauma for us is repeated, it's frequent, and it's cumulative. So it leads to a situation of chronic stress. Yes. And stress affects the entire mind and body. So, for instance, if we just look at just at the brain, it can cause headaches, feelings of despair, lack of energy, fatigue, changes in your mood where you're irritable, you're sad, angry. It can change your appetite. It can impact your your sleep rhythm. It can cause problems in concentration and memory. Wow. And also go on to cause mental health problems, actual mental health disorders, anxiety, depression, and so on. Wow. So, and I think, yeah, the other thing we think about, so on the body, uh, when you're stressed continually like that, there is um, stress hormones are constantly being secreted into your bloodstream. So cortisol is being secreted, adrenaline. So what happens is is that you're living in a constant fight or flight or freeze state. Wow. That is so stressful. It's very stressful. And when you look at um, black people in particular, and also this applies to other uh, populations of people of color, you look at the rates of of diabetes, the rates of heart disease, the rates of uh, hypertension. Mm -hmm. All of those things are increased under chronic stress. Wow. So definitely in terms of the cost of um, racial trauma, there's a definite physical cost. But also, you know, as a psychiatrist, I look at mental health in particular. And I think the biggest thing about being exposed to just this constant drip, drip, drip of, uh, of racial trauma is that the internalization of racism. When we start to see ourselves through the eyes or the lens that society sees us, that's a real problem. You're you're probably familiar with the doll experiments that were done by um, a husband and wife team back in the 50s, I believe, called the Clark doll experiment. Okay. They showed uh, little kids. They might have been around the ages of five to eight. I forget the exact ages. But they showed them a white doll that was blonde with blue eyes and a black doll, brown eyes. And these were kids from different races. And what happened was is that invariably they all attributed to the black doll that they were had bad character and that they were ugly. Wow. The white doll was good and beautiful. And they went one step further to say, so there's one scene where a little black boy, you know, he says, well, he's bad. And they ask, well, why is he bad? Because he's black. And then which one most looks like you? Oh, my gosh. That's the point to the black one. And, you know, if you see this experiment, these kids get, the, the black kids have a lot of stress because, they're pointing out these negative qualities in the black doll. They're attributing these negative qualities to the black doll. And then they're saying, well, that doll looks like me. 
Wow. That's you know, horrible. And and that happens so early. You know, we, we like to think that kids don't see race. Kids see race. Yes. Kids see what we teach them. And um, so there's uh, been a recent update on this study that was published in 2020. And uh, this was done, again, by a black psychologist. And I'm forgetting her name. I feel badly um, for forgetting her name. But um, what she did was she didn't want to repeat the experiment in the same way because of the stress that it caused kids. So she went to, like, a preschool, I believe, and watched little black girls and other kids uh, play with, to- with, with dolls. And they had dolls that represented that were white, that were black, that were, were Latinx. They had these different, a variety of different dolls in different shades as well. And what they found was is that the black girl showed still in 2020, so here we are in the 21st century, and black girls showed a strong preference for the non-black dolls. Wow. And rejected the black dolls. And they were aggressive to the black dolls. So oh. They stepped on them. They stepped over them. And in fact, one of the papers, one of the, the um, one of the articles that she published um, in the title, she refers to this because one black little black girl put the black doll in a pot and pretended to cook her. Oh my gosh! So, you know, when you think about sort of you know just racial trauma what we're exposed to, how early we're exposed to it, and how that impacts your sense of self. Yes. Right? So I, for me, that is the that is at the core of the mental health issues that we can develop later on. If you don't have a strong sense of self, or if you see yourself as bad or less than, less worthy, that's a setup for all sorts of psychological issues. Yes. Wow. I think, you know, what it does is it robs you of your confidence as you go out into the world. It does. Mm-hmm. You feel discouraged. You might feel helpless. Um, again, it affects your self-esteem. You feel worthless. And when you feel helpless and hopeless, that, again, is a strong setup for depression, developing depression and anxiety. Wow. So, yeah, so these are some of the effects that uh, racial trauma has very early and enduring. It's funny that you mentioned the doll experiment because um, a friend of mine sent me a post um, through text message actually sometime last year um, regarding a toy that they were going to release in Britain actually and they were ducks this time and they had the yellow duck, um, a fairer lighter yellow duck and then they had a brown duck and the names were the brown duck was actually called the ugly duckling and just that alone when I saw that they actually ended up pulling the toy mind you but when I saw that I thought wow this is so traumatic just alone calling the brown duck the ugly duckling that label alone it's terrible it's horrible. You wonder how those, and you hear stuff like that all the time, how those decisions get made. You know, who's sitting at the table when those decisions are made? Yeah. How many levels would that have gone through? Had no one caught that? I know. So it speaks to a lack of representation of us at the table when those decisions are being made. Yes. What is a microaggression? And is that term actually correct? 
Well, microaggression. That's <laughs> interesting that you asked that. You know, one of the things I've been doing with all personally for my own growth is that I've been trying to read a lot about social justice issues and racial equity. And as soon as you get step into that literature, you encounter these terms. <laughs> and, uh, and microaggression is one I guess I've been familiar with for some time. And right away, I had problems with it, right? So microaggressions uh, refers to, refer to the seemingly small and minor insults that happen on a daily basis that are directed to a marginalized group. So the purposes of our discussion today towards black people. Now, microaggressions aren't always racial. They can be, you know, they can occur along other dimensions, uh, certainly gender and disability versus able body. It can occur along many different dimensions, but I want to focus on, on racial microaggressions. So it's the, again, the slight, the minor, that kind of, that very covert racism that we encounter on a daily basis, mm. where if you call it out, invariably the person says, well, that's not what I meant. So often it's done without intent, but uh, I think instead of focusing on the intent, we have to think about how it's received and how it impacts us, the person on the receiving end. So, and, and microaggressions are cumulative, right? Again, we, we talk about this, experiencing these, these traumas early and repeatedly and frequently. So if you think, okay, so microaggressions, they can be verbal, they can be nonverbal, they can be systemic, they can happen on an individual basis, but uh, common ones are, you know, you get, uh, as a, a black person, you're told, you know, you're so articulate. <sighs> and, <laughs> you, you know, that sounds like a compliment. Yeah. But you think about it, you know, if you're sitting around a table, let's say, and, you know, there are five people and we're all talking, we're all having a pretty high level discussion. Why single this one person out to say, you're so articulate? Yes. And often it's a black person. And what microaggressions convey is that you are less than. You are not as capable. You don't belong. Mm. You know, so that the, the you are articulate one is, <laughs> is a common one. Uh, it, they point out your otherness uh, your difference. Mm -hmm. so yeah. <laughs> uh, self-disclosure here um a couple of years ago two, i'm not sure how many years now i decided to wear my hair very natural so started growing an afro yes and i had patients say to me oh are you gonna keep your hair like that oh my gosh <laughs> oh or I like your hair better the other way. Now, who says this to their doctor? Yeah. But, you know, as black women, we, we get this message that your hair is not only is it different, but it's not as good as. 
And, you know, also what can happen is, is that people want to touch your hair. Yes. People will ask, can I touch your hair? Worse yet, they just go ahead. And touch and it. Touch your hair. Yes. You know, so these, uh, you know, or where are you from is another one. Right. Where are you from? And you say, well, Toronto. <laughs> no. Where Where are you from? Do you, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, what part of, you know, do you want to know what part of Toronto I'm from? But no, people, again, it's pointing out your otherness. You're, yes. You can't possibly be from here. You are from some other place. So, you know, so those are microaggressions. Is, is that, was that clear? I'm not sure. Yes, it was very much so. So, so and, and you, you asked, is it the correct term? Well, you know, people who are well studied in this area have devised this term, and I'm not going to say it incorrect, but it's not a term that I like because of the emphasis on, well, right away, micro. Yes, that's what I thought too. Because it, it's diminutive. You know, yes, it minimizes the impact. And we've, we've been talking about, you know, how these traumas, these insults happen early, frequently, repeatedly. They're chronic. They, the impacts are, are major in terms of what they do to your physical health, what they do to your mental health. So for me, there's nothing micro about it. They're all macro. Yes. And again... And, you know, and um, as you get into the literature, it's described very well the idea that, you know, if you had to just deal with each microaggression on its own, yes, well, then it would be micro. If I was just, you know, someone said to me just once, you know, my, you're articulate. You know, the first time you hear that, you think, wow, thank you. Yeah. It's always coming up. Or you're always being asked, where are you from? Oh, and you don't speak with an accent. Or can I touch your hair? Or, you know, it's, it's repeatedly, it's over and over. Again, that, that idea that it's cumulative. Yes. So then what happens is, is that these minor so-called microaggressions, again, having major impact because it's cumulative, it's, if you think of it as, um, and this is not my analogy, this is from, so you want to talk about race, my book. Um, if you got a punch to the arm, <laughs> you know, and it's punched repeatedly, you know, um, and maybe intentionally, but now your arm is sore, it's Bruised. Yeah. It doesn't take a whole lot now to cause major pain. So someone comes, I think the example that's given in the book is someone comes along and accidentally hits that arm. So no intent, but the pain is excruciating because again, it's been, it's chronic pain that you're carrying. Wow. You have that acute, seemingly minor micro injury causes you know, a major reaction, major pain, psychological, right? So it's, I, I try not to use it, um, that word microaggression, because for me, it's all macro. Yeah. What can an individual do if they're experiencing or have experienced racial trauma? Well, there are a number of things that um, I think, first of all, 
you want to acknowledge the role that racism plays in your life. And that's not, that's not so straightforward. Some people aren't aware of these uh, so-called microaggressions or they, have, they don't watch uh, the news, so they haven't seen these videos or they're not on social media. But for whatever reason, they've lived a life as a person of color, specifically a black person. And I will hear some people say, well, no, that's not, I, you know, I don't really experience racism. So even if you don't feel that personally you experience racism, I think it's important to be aware that others are experiencing it. Yes. And, and to acknowledge it. If you are experiencing it, it's important to acknowledge it and make a connection. You know, we talked about how you can feel. You can feel, you know, stressed and anxious and overwhelmed and, and down and irritable. All those things that you're feeling and you're thinking, why am I feeling like this? So if you think about the year that was 2020 and the things that you, you mentioned, the one year anniversary recently that's passed of uh, George Floyd's uh, murder, the things that happened leading up to his death, there were a lot of high profile incidents. And because we were all at home, most, most of us were at home, we had time to really kind of tune in. Um, to what was happening. Yes. So within that context, we might have started to feel sad and detached and, you know, mentally not clear. It's important to acknowledge the, the racial trauma, again, whether it's direct or indirect, and to make a connection between what's happening for the racial trauma that you may have experienced directly or indirectly and how you're feeling. Because we don't often make the connection. Like, why am I feeling like this? Yeah. Right? So I think the first order of business is to acknowledge the role that racism is playing in your life. Acknowledge those emotions that you're feeling. Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you scared? We need to, to take stock of how we're feeling. And then what do you, what do, you do? So now you've, you've kind of um, focused in on how you're feeling. You've made a connection uh, to racial trauma. What do you do about those emotions? Well, you need to process them. And by that, I mean you need to vent them. You need to look at them, gain, gain a different perspective on them. I think what we tend to do is we tend to push them down and just keep keep going. You know, life is busy. We have to work. We have to pick up the kids. We have to come home and prepare a meal, and you know, repeat. You know, so we 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 don't we're not good at taking time out to really kind of take stock and to process these feelings. Mm. So, yeah, a number of ways that you can process these emotions: journaling. Journaling is, is an excellent way. I believe uh, that too. Journaling is really is really therapeutic. Very therapeutic. And it doesn't have to be like pages and pages. It could be, you know, some days maybe just a couple of sentences. Other days maybe you do have, you feel like writing more. And what's good about journals too is if you're able to do it over a period of time, you know, when you're going through the crisis, you think they're really acute and you think you'll never get through it. A year later, months later, even when you, you read your journal and you go back, you say, wow, 
okay, so I've made some progress. So journaling is a really good way to, the the, uh, catharsis that it provides is really good, just allows you to release a lot of that tension, but it also gives you perspective because you're, you're looking at your feelings, your emotions over a period of time and you can see how they've changed. Talk, connecting, connecting with friends, talking with friends, both like-minded friends and also with people who have different different opinions. So again, it allows you to vent, it allows you to, to see you're not the only one feeling this way. And yes, people's opinions as to why they're feeling this way or why these things are happening might differ. But it's good to be in a sense of community and to discuss these feelings and to have your feelings normalized. I mean, you're not the only one experiencing this. You do, I do recommend some caution though, because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're just repeating a lot of negativity, the same themes over and over and over again. Oh, good point. That could reinforce the trauma. Yes. So, so caution there. Um, the other thing you can do is seek help. And I didn't leave that for last because we often think of getting help as sort of a last resort. And it just doesn't have to be a last resort. So you don't have to be in a state of crisis where you're not functioning on the brink of burnout before you seek help. Um, getting help uh, can be as simple as talking to if you're in a faith community, talking to uh, a pastor. Uh, it can be seeking out a therapist. Um, but it's important to, to get that help and get that support, I believe. And again, not having to wait until, maybe, until you're in dire straits. It's helpful to talk about these things and to, to get help. And to again, when you are dealing with a therapist, you know, your feelings are validated, um, hopefully. And this, we have to be very careful who we choose as a therapist and that this person is culturally sensitive, that, they, that they're going to get it, quite frankly, that they get it. Because the last thing you want is to go and reveal your trauma and then have it minimized, dismissed, and explained in some other way. Yes. Right? So, and um, there is a a listing of um, black therapists. You're probably familiar with it, Jeanette. Blacktherapistlist.com. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not, actually. Yeah, so it's Black Therapist with an S, I believe, list.com. And it just, it's just, it's a great site. Just list a number of, of, of black therapists that, um, and they talk about their different areas of, of specialization, but you can see there, you get to see a picture of them, and some of them will actually say, we deal with, with issues around race. So, so that's a good resource. Um, Taibu is, is a community health center out of Scarborough that um, I do some consultations there um, on a monthly basis. But on their website, so it's Taibu, um, they have mental health workshops that uh, are ongoing. So you can check into a resource like, like that to see what kinds of uh, workshops they have coming up. That's one thing you can do. The other thing is 
Jeanette, is that you can do to deal with if you're experiencing or you've experienced racial trauma is change your thinking. Uh. And like, what do I mean by change your thinking? You know, we can, you know, our brains, um, the default is negative, <laughs> right? Um, because our brains are equipped to, or we're designed to detect threat. If we can detect threat in the environment, we keep ourselves safe. So your brain, as given most of us, will go negative, you know, by default. The last thing you want to do is to be stuck at home, ruminating on all of this racial trauma, um, the microaggressions that you might have experienced, you know, the things, the kinds of stories we see repeated in social media. So... You, you get into that negative loop and then you, you, you ruminate like that negatively. It creates again, stress, anxiety, depression. So a really good way of changing your thinking. And there are a number of different ways we could do that. But one way is gratitude journaling. Ah. So gratitude journaling, what it does is it shifts your perspective and it's not, you know, it doesn't negate what's going on, the bad things that are happening, that racial trauma. But it's a way of saying, you know, what am I grateful for today? What is good in my life today? So it shifts that that perspective, that focus to, because, you know, there, good things are happening to us. I believe this strongly. With all the negativity of 2020 and 2021, good things are happening. Yes. We just shrug them off. You know, we're so busy. We just shrug them off. We don't really focus on them. We tend to focus, though, a lot on the negative things. We we focus on them. We dissect them. We pull them out of better proportion. The positive stuff, we just say, oh, well, and we move on. That's so so true. (laughs) Yeah, gratitude journaling is a way of saying to pause and say, okay, what's good in my life? And it doesn't have to be long. It could be just one thing. It doesn't have to be every day, a few days, you know, a few days a week. And the research shows it's actually very effective in terms of uh, helping you just to be more resilient. So, and then the the final thing I I think we can do comes under, we we hear about this a lot, self-care. And self-care, you know, we throw it around. You need to engage in self-care. What do we mean when we say self-care? There's a lot, and self-care involves all sorts of different actions that we can take. I I tend to think of it as taking time to attend to your mind, body, and spirit. So, again, taking that time to attend to your mind, body, and spirit. So, if we're taking care of mind, mindfulness meditation, very good ways of, of um, attending to your mind. So meditation, there are lots of free meditations on the internet. A lot of uh, my patients will say to me, oh, I've tried meditation. I can't do it. I can't still my mind. You know, there's just too much going on in my mind. I can't quiet my mind. And they get frustrated. And I think, you know, the thing it, about meditation is that it takes practice. 
Um, I don't think, I think you need to start really small, not with 20 minute or 30 minute meditation mm-hmm. or, or a five minute meditation. Um, so, and mindfulness. And I, I think of mindfulness as having your mind where your feet are. So, you know, we, we tend to think a lot about what's happened in the past or think about what's happening going into the future. You know, the what if, what if this happens, what if that happens? And the thing about racial trauma is that it makes you hypervigilant. It has all these little insults and things that happen to you. When you go out into the world, you can be, you can be on, on edge and expecting and anticipating these things to happen. Right? Yes. So, you know, and you might thinking, you know, I have to go shopping. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I hope they don't follow me in the store anymore. I hope, you know, those kinds of things. Right? Yeah. So being mindful is having your mind not into the future, not into the past, and reviewing all the past things that have happened, but just being very present. And um, being mindful can be very helpful. So, and there's mindful meditation, there are mindful exercises that you can do. And again, uh, you know, a Google search will take you to that. Um, there is an app, but there is a subscription fee for it called Headspace that I think that does a very good job of explaining um, meditation and starting off really slowly. Um, but there are other apps out there that are free. Uh, I don't have um, a listing of those right now. Um, in terms of taking care of your emotions, I will often say to, to my patients, you know, they, they Patients will say, I don't have any joy in my life. I'm not happy. And I find, first of all, people are looking for happy to be this constant state. I I, I aim for moments of happiness. Yes. That's more realistic. Yeah, I think so. And I think you have to make time for joy. Schedule your joy. And again, we want it to be spontaneous, and that's great. But sometimes life is just so hectic that you need to schedule your joy. So you, therefore, need to know what are the things that bring me joy. And a lot of us don't know that. You know, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that lift your mood when you're feeling down? What are the things that calm you when you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed? So giving some thought to that, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you might not have those things. So it might require that you try new things to see. And it, and it doesn't have to be major stuff. You don't have to go, for me, my happy place is being on a beach. <laughs> That's not happening. So I need to find <laughs> other things. So sometimes it's just putting on one song that I know is going to get me up dancing and just dancing like a maniac for three minutes. Yeah. And, you know, I feel I feel better after doing that, you know. So um, making time for your joy, um, I try to think of uh, developing sort of what I call a toolkit. And you can actually have an actual toolkit <laughs> or it can just be in your mind kind of toolkit. So knowing what those things are, is it a, a warm cup of tea? Is it a favorite blanket? Is it a favorite song? Is it uh, getting down the floor and playing with the kids? You know, uh, petting and holding your dog. So 
when you, generating a list of what those things are, and if you're going to have an actual kind of like the box, putting those things, you know, if they're if you they're objects and things that make you feel good, collecting them, so that you have a place to go to physically in real space or in your mind, you know, these are the things that, that give me joy. I like that. For a moment. I really right? like that. Okay. Um, creativity. I say having a creative outlet is good. Mm-hmm. Allows you again to express that pain, that trauma, to process it. So painting or cooking or writing, different ways, you know, to, to be creative. I tend not to think of myself as, as being a very creative person, but I've taken to baking, trying my hand at baking because it's, uh, it's creating. And it's funny when I bake, I find I don't eat as much of the stuff that I bake. I tend to give it away. And I like, that gives me joy seeing people eat the stuff that I bake. So, you know, um, so some kind of a creative pursuit. Um, if you could take that up or, and for those people who are, who are very creative, who've gotten away from it, find time to get back to it. I think that's helpful. Um, for a lot of us, uh, faith is important. And if faith is important to you, uh, do you belong to a faith-based community? Have you gotten away from that? Is that something that you need to get back to? So looking at that spiritual uh, we said mind, body, and spirit. So looking at, you know, how do you take care of yourself spiritually? That involves meditation. It may involve being part of a faith-based community. And again, that sense of uh, community. And the research is actually very strong that uh, a lot of this research comes out of the U.S. Churchgoers, black churchgoers have a longer lifespan. They have lower rates of mental illness. Um, so there's something about that faith that really seems to, to be protective. And I think, um, nature, you know, um, doctors are now prescribing nature to help with mental health. So an actual prescription where you, you write on a piece of paper, or you print out on a piece of paper, I want you to go to this park for this amount of time and just. You know, leave the technology behind if you can, and just just try to be in nature. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, in the GTA, we have a lot of parks. Yes. So blessed with that. So nature is very healing and soothing. And, again, it's just taking time to, to you know, to reconnect. And nature can do that. So those are some of the um, – <clears throat> I guess I have one other thing um, – that because um, this is uh, something I think a lot of us are feeling being drawn to because again those feelings of helplessness hopelessness what do you do with that yeah if you can turn all those feelings into action um, it can dissipate those feelings of helplessness so some people are you know during um, this time last year people were going out despite the pandemic in droves and protesting which was amazing to see, right? And and that allows you to turn that pain, that hurt, into to action. So getting involved in some way, um, politically or protesting, or you know what if that that appeals to you, um, educating yourself. So 
and that can be talking to people from different backgrounds. Uh, it can be, you know, getting diving into the literature and just trying to educate yourself, which is something I personally have, tra- have been starting to do in, uh, in the past year. You might choose to mentor someone um, in your community, a younger, a young person, um, in some way, as a way of giving back and helping. Um, you might choose to write a blog, um, do a podcast. <laughs> so these are all ways of uh, turning um, those experiences, those painful experiences, into action that can help you and might help others as well. Then, do you have any last thoughts on this topic? Well, the last thought, um, rather. Yeah, uh, I think that what you and I are doing here today, just talking. Yes. Um, you know, I think if we as a, as a society can start to, and I think this is happening, but continue to have these discussions with our neighbors, um, social media spaces, which can be kind of dicey at times, but having these discussions about uh, racism and and mental health, frankly. Yes. Um, and and have, so having these discussions, having um, these um, um, uncomfortable discussions, because at times they will be uncomfortable, so not avoiding them <clears throat> because they're uncomfortable. I think a lot of good can come that and we can learn more about each other and the more we learn about each other we'll find that we have a lot more in common than we realize so that would be my last thought i'm so glad that you joined us today dr lane this was excellent well thank you for having me and i i hope it's been helpful It has been. It's been extremely educational, and I hope it will help people get on the right side of this issue in order to put an end to racism. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Take care. Today's motivational moments is simply this. Be the change you wish to see in this world. At the beginning of this cast, I mentioned a quote that I saw on Instagram and I will say it again now. If trauma can be passed down through generations, then so can healing. Racism is not an individual problem. It is a world health issue. As Dr. Lane and I have both stated, there is discrimination, racism, and racial trauma being endured daily by those that inhabit this earth And it is evident from today's cast that it has serious adverse effects on the people that are subjected to it. There is only one race, the human race. It is up to us to treat everyone equally, the way that we all want to be and should be treated. From what you have learned here today, go forth with kindness, compassion, understanding, and most of all, love of your fellow man. For those of you that are new to this topic, Educate yourself further through reading anti-racist material. Chapters Indigo has a good list of books if you don't know where to start. And like Dr. Lane said, have conversations with your friends, co-workers, and family. And finally, update yourself on current and past events by watching the news, documentaries, and movies on this topic. 
Then take what you have learned and apply it to your interactions with the people of different ethnicities and cultures. Step out of your comfort zone and intentionally seek equality and the fair treatment for all. That, my friends, is taking steps in the right directions to ending racism. In closing, I would like to thank Dr. Lane again for being with us today and Earth to Venus for my theme song. You can follow me on IG and Facebook at Be Mentally Motivated and on my website www.bementallymotivated.com. You can email me at podcast at bementallymotivated.com and until next time my listeners, be blessed, embrace a better tomorrow, and be mentally motivated. Bye-bye.